Hello and welcome to another episode of Professors at Work, a weekly podcast where we discuss with AUB faculty and scholars the research they're doing, the findings they're coming up with, and how all this matters to the rest of us. I'm really pleased this week to have as our guest Catherine Maud, who is Assistant Professor of English and also the co-director of the Women and Gender Studies Initiative at AUB. Thanks for being with us, Catherine. Thank you for having me. You bet. And, uh, and it's a good, uh, good week to do this because you have coming out uh, just this week uh, is the publication of your new book entitled Addressing Women in Early Medieval Religious Texts. So let me, uh, besides congratulating you, let me ask you, how does the status of women in early medieval religious texts link to the uh, condition of a woman and the issue of women and gender studies uh, in in the Middle East today, which you're dealing with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, as you said, my book, Addressing Women in Early Medieval Religious Texts, is coming out this week. And the book focuses on texts written for and addressed directly for women. Um, and my argument is that by looking at these texts, we gain an insight into the horizons of possibility for their lives, what it is, what it means to be a woman in this time period that I work on. And this period, and, this period is 10 to 12th centuries? Yeah, that's right. So it's in the early Middle Ages, um, mm -hmm. mostly in England and Scotland, although a little bit on the continent as mm -hmm. well. And as you say, immediately that wouldn't seem uh, particularly relevant to my work at AUV as I run the Women and Gender Studies Initiative, um, at, you know, in the Middle East. But mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I think is really important is that work in gender studies really includes a, a concentration on the past, right? Yes. So how things were different for women in the past demonstrates to us that things can be different in future. Yes. So my introduction to women in gender studies class that I teach at AUB, mm -hmm. I focus as well as on kind of theoretical work about women's position in the world. I also focus on science fiction. Oh, wow. Because it helps students to imagine how things could be different in future. Right. So yes. if, we, if we spend that time thinking, what does it look like in 100 years time yes. uh, to be a woman in the Middle East or to think about gender differently? Right. Um, it helps them to imagine what they want to change. Right. Wow. So yes. I think the situation for women or the situation um, in terms of people of marginalized gender can seem really stable. Right. It can seem like it's always the same. Right. Whereas if we look, <clears throat> in my case, a thousand years into the past, I know things were different back then. Right. Um, and so it helps us to think about how things can change and the, makes it clear to the students that it's possible for things to change, which I think sometimes can feel difficult to believe. Right. I mean, you, right. you've been working yeah. in the region for many years. Right. Uh, and I think, you know, we've had conversations before about the kind of static nature of some 
kind of social justice issues. Um, right. Both, you know, I, I find this in the UK where I'm from and also in Lebanon. So yes. I think it's really nice to have that sense that of possibility. So take us back to the 9th, 10th and 11th centuries in um, in Europe. And uh, so what, did, what was the condition predominantly that you've identified? And, and uh, were there, can you identify demands for change? Were women back then, uh, or maybe some men, but probably mostly women only asking for change? What do you get from your analysis of the literature? That's a really great question. So the book primarily looks at, um, so this is a period in England at least, where we don't have a lot of material written by women themselves. So the book asks the question, where can we see the voices of women? How can we see the voices of women uh, when we don't have their own writing? Um, yes. And the book makes the argument that the texts that are written for women, right? So mm -hmm. everything from sermons to letters to kind of instructional writing about how to live a good life. Yeah. Um, we can see um, the possibilities for women's lives, you know, what they're, what they're encouraged to do and what they're encouraged not to do. Mm -hmm. um, and the book kind of further makes an argument that we can see how... Uh, how women felt about those texts or those instructions, we might say, um, based on which ones they copied, right? So at this period, manuscript production, you're copying everything out by hand, and we have evidence of women scribes, right? Wow. So even though women weren't writing themselves necessarily, um, although they were um, in places, but in this case, uh, we don't have a lot of evidence for it, um, but they were copying things out. And so they might copy down a sermon that addresses them in a way that they find appealing, right? Mm -hmm. um, right. Whereas they might not copy a sermon that addresses them in a way that they don't like, right? Wow. So even in this period, we have a lot of evidence for women's agency um, in how they exist in the world, um, mm -hmm. even when we don't have... Um, still existing uh, their poetry, for example. Um, right. We know at the time they were writing poetry because men will refer to it. Oh, you know, Muriel, this wonderful poet from this mm -hmm. monastery. Right. Um, but we don't still have it, right? Because it was a thousand years ago. Right. Um, and so we're kind of uh, piecing things together. Um, but I think it's really, it's exciting for me, obviously, because I wrote the book, but it's, it's exciting mm -hmm. for me um, to see these, this evidence for women's agency, even in this period and in this group of texts that we might see as really hostile. Right. You use the word agency. Can you explain? Mm. Is that basically, when we, when we talk about people's agency today, we talk it in the meaning that they feel that they have the capacity to do things and make things happen, express themselves, bring about change, etc. They're not just passive uh, organisms. Yeah, and I think that I would use it in a similar way when we're talking about the past. So mm -hmm. um, although I was saying before, one of the things we see is how different things were a thousand years ago, we also mm -hmm. see, I think, 
a lot of continuity. And yes. some, one of the continuities that we see is uh, the possibilities for action in the world, right? Wow. It's still possible uh, for us to see how, in, in my case, um, the case of my research, how women reacted to things. Um, we don't. We don't just need to have a sense of them as passive recipients of other people's work mm -hmm. or other people's writing. Um, they are engaging um, and producing work themselves and copying things that they appreciate and avoiding copying things they don't appreciate. You know, mm -hmm. and so it, it's more difficult to find that. But it's not impossible, and I find that really exciting. Yes, and and of the things that you do find, what are are there one or two themes that you think uh, stand out that help us understand uh, important issues in women's lives back then at in that place and time? Yeah. So one thing that I think we see throughout these different materials is uh, the importance of collaboration for these women. So um, in these texts, primarily written by men, um, the ones that are copied by women that appear to be appreciated by women are the ones in which they collaborate. So, in which, Sorry, in which the women collaborate? Yeah, uh, exactly. So mm -hmm. in which the women are collaborating. So... The other thing that's kind of interesting for me about these texts is that a sense of a single author isn't so much the case in the Middle Ages. We don't mm -hmm. have such a sense that one single person wrote this and they began it here and they ended it here and it is an expression of their personality. Right. Right. That's kind of quite a modern idea of authorship. Um, instead, we might think of it something more like a Twitter thread, right? Somebody yes. might write that, but <clears throat> you might then comment on it and that would become part of the thread. Someone else might then respond to it. Someone might quote it. We might yes. see it appearing somewhere else in a newspaper article and then somebody might comment on that. Um, so the printed book in some ways is quite finished, right? right. So you, you print a book and um, it, it has all the words in that it's going to have. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas with a manuscript, you copy out a text in a manuscript. Um, often you'll leave quite big margins. Other people will write in those margins. Um, the order of texts in a manuscript can be moved around because you can unbind them and rebind them very easily. You might cut them to size or kind of stick mm -hmm. them to larger pieces of paper. There's a much oh. more kind of fluid sense of production and authorship. Um, it's not, you know, I wrote this and yes. this is what it looks like. It's much more kind of collaborative and ongoing and open-ended. Um, and I think that that's another thing, although not something about gender, that thinking about production in the Middle Ages can teach us about the contemporary day. Uh, I would say like, no media is really new media. Something yes. like social media is, I think, much more like uh, the fluid open-ended production of something like a manuscript text than it is like um, 
a, a novel that has been printed. Yes. Um, so it's very much the idea that matters more than the person. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, so when you do uh, jump from a thousand years ago in women's lives in Europe to contemporary women's lives and gender issues in the uh, in the Lebanon and the <clears throat> and the Middle East, um, do you find yourself um, focusing on similar themes, or is there a complete new reality today? that has very little to do with the past? So I think that there are a lot of themes that are going to continue on um, in terms of women's lives, but also in terms of, um, you know, thinking about the place of religion in people's lives, for mm -hmm. example. So the kind of centrality of Christianity to the women's lives that I work on in the Middle Ages, um, mm -hmm. somewhere like Lebanon, thinking about how religion interacts with gender and sexuality is very, very important, right? And I notice this when I'm teaching. So I teach a graduate course, an MA level course called mm -hmm. Sex, Gender and Saints Lives. Right. And when I was teaching this class, um, we were working on these medieval saints' lives and the ways that these medieval saints' lives conceptualize celibacy and sex and yeah. these kind of things. Um, and one of my students said, oh, but, you know, I, I went to Catholic school and mm -hmm. the things that my the nuns that taught me said about celibacy and said about sex are not that different to the ways in which this uh, these kind of saints' lives are conceptualizing of sexuality. So things like um, the importance of not having sex before marriage or um, the primacy of celibacy as a type of sexual expression. Um, these kind of questions about who should decide what women do with their bodies and mm -hmm. how um, sexuality uh, is expressed, I think are questions that we're still asking. Um, and the answers yeah. that we come to might be quite different, but I think that the questions are the same. You know, what, 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 should it, what does it look like to live a good life? Um, yes. Is a question that of course we're still asking. Um, and I think that some of the answers that they came up with in the early Middle Ages um, are going to be more relevant than others. Um, but I think they haven't, uh, it hasn't changed as much as you would think. Yeah, it's fascinating. <laughs> uh, in the courses that I teach at AUB and writing mostly, <clears throat> it's fascinating that the two most common themes that the students want to write about, and this, is, this goes back 10, 15 years of teaching, um, are um, uh, sectarianism and sexuality. It's really uh, quite striking, those two, and you just kind of mentioned those two things of politics and sexuality and, uh, and religion. Um, and so this seems to be a universal and timeless uh, focus of people's lives for reasons perhaps that are pretty easy to understand. Right, and I think one of the things that's really important is so my 
academic work primarily focuses on Europe, um, but my teaching um, and as as I've been working in Lebanon, my scholarship increasingly too uh, focuses on kind of the cross cultural elements of sexuality in the Middle Ages. So, yes. for example, uh, there's a wonderful book by uh, Sahar Amr, who's a fairly recently retired um, scholar called Crossing Borders, which yes. is about same-sex love in, Fran in French and Arab texts oh, wow. in, in the Middle Ages. Um, and I teach some of this material because I think it's really important um, for our students to have a sense that uh, kind of same-sex love and desire isn't an import, right. right? It's something that has been written about in texts, um, both in Europe and in the Arab world, for more than a thousand years, right? right? It's not something. It's not something new and foreign, right? Uh, it's something that we we see repeatedly, uh, from kind of both in. It's, I'm currently supervising uh, an MA dissertation uh, about the Encyclopedia of Pleasure, which is wow. a medieval Arab text that includes a whole chapter about love between women. Oh, wow. um, and so these are the kind of things that we, you know, that we can talk about in class, that this is something that, and this is something that I think is really exciting and why it's important in, in my opinion, uh, as a gender studies specialist, to have a sense of the past. Because yes. if you don't, I think you can fall into these traps of saying, okay, you know, it's important for us to be tolerant now, but this is something new that, we, that we're having to learn to live with. Yes. Actually, no, this is something that's been around both in the region and in the world for at least the last thousand years, uh, as yes. long as we've been writing. Right, yeah, yeah, this isn't something new. Yeah, that's fascinating. So in the few minutes we have left, um, tell me, jumping a thousand years ahead from your medieval studies to, mm -hmm. to today's uh, gender and, uh, and uh, women's studies program or initiative that, uh, that you co-lead co with, uh, uh, with the Sarah Murad in the um, communications department as your co-director, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. So what do you, how do you, um, how do you manage this initiative? What are the issues that caused AUB to create this initiative? And how do you actually uh, implement it? Uh, is it just basically academic courses? Or do you have an outreach component? Are you trying to uh, impact on society or just really help the students uh, and some researchers gain more insights into these issues? So the Women and Gender Studies Initiative has kind of three components. Uh, the first one is the academic research component. So we host conferences, we have speaker series, um, and we also try and do research incubation activities in on campus. So right. helping people meet each other who are working on similar issues, for right. example. Um, the kind of second section is the section to do with students and teaching. Um, so we have a, gen a women and gender studies minor. Mm -hmm. um, and we have a lot of students on that right now, um, which is great. Uh, and 
we've also recently been given a big grant uh, from the US MEPI uh, project mm -hmm. and for uh, gender scholars. And so that is that every student taking uh, a gender studies course who's also on financial aid is eligible for a scholarship that will cover all of their courses for that semester. Wow. Um, so if they take one gender studies course uh, and four other courses, um, the scholarship will cover the, the, whole, the whole semester of fees, which is great because it means that we're bringing a lot of new people into the program and a lot of those are going forward to take our minor. Wow. Um, and we have um, between, between 10 and 15 courses a semester. Um, and we're also working on the general education courses right now. Uh, because uh, Bana Bashur in philosophy is revamping our general education curriculum. Right. Um, and we're working with her to center um, kind of social justice and equality in the new curriculum. Oh, so nice. that's a work in progress, which I'm very excited about. And then the kind of final thing that we do is um, more outreach work. So we work with local NGOs. Uh, and local organizations, both bringing them in to talk to students. So, for example, we had the A Project, um, which is a <coughs> sexual health and sexuality um, NGO. Mm -hmm. um, and we had them come in to speak to the students. Um, and we do events uh, kind of outside of the university. Um, and we also do events, uh, or we did events <laughs> pre-corona, but mm -hmm. hopefully after as well, uh, with uh, local bookshops like Alia's Books yes. um, to kind of bring some of the academic work we're doing uh, kind of into the more general conversation in Lebanon. Um, so, yeah, we've got a lot on. Um, wow. And, uh, yeah, I'm very excited to see where that goes next. Well, it's incredibly important work, um, and um, you seem to be doing a, a pretty wide range of things, which I'm sure is going to keep increasing um, in the future. Unfortunately, what doesn't increase is our time. We've run out of time, uh, so I need to thank you, Catherine Maud, for being with us. Catherine is the assistant is assistant professor of English and co-director of the Women and Gender Studies Initiative uh, at the AUB. So thanks, Catherine, and we'll follow this up, I'm sure, uh, in the future. Thanks, Rami. That's great. You bet. And thank you for being with us, uh, all of you out there in the audience or listening. This is Professors at Work, our weekly podcast exploring research issues that AUB scholars are involved in and telling us what they find and, and how it matters for the rest of us. I'm your host, Rami Khouri. Join us again next week. Bye for now.